Don't worry, uh, that's the last week that Ben's on. Someone else will be next week. Cecilia will be back. So I know it's a huge distraction seeing that pretty face on that screen. But we'll feed you baby birds and take care of you next week. I'm Josh. If we haven't met before, I'd love to meet you. Um, and uh, just uh, all honesty here, if you're, if you're new to the, these parts, new here, really, um, really thankful that you would carve out three or four hours today to spend with us. Really, I'm thankful. That's a joke, but I am sincerely thankful if you're new and you know, there's a lot of stuff you could be doing right now, and so for you to have the courage to show up, particularly if you're not a church person or you're looking for a church, trying to figure all this stuff out, really, really, I'm thankful that you're here. And let me just tell you what we, we hope would happen for you, okay? Uh, it's on, on your timing. We hope at some, time, at, at some point, today, next week, following week, that you would feel safe enough um, to just let us know you're here, right? Like, have the courage and feel comfortable enough to go, ah, I can trust them with my information. Just to kind of self-identify. Uh, the way you can do that, back of that bulletin uh, program you're given. There's a place where you can put your name and contact information. Whatever information you feel comfortable sharing with us, we'd love, love to have it. Um, uh, one, uh, and particularly so that we could follow up with you and connect with you and maybe start having some kind of dialogue that becomes some kind of relationship. We, we really do hope that. You're, love for you to feel like you could belong here. Long before you buy into all this stuff, that's fine. Just love for you to have this com- community. Now, while you're looking at the back of that bulletin or thinking about the back of the bulletin, for all of us, there's something new that starts this week, brand new, okay? Um, one of the things that we struggle with, or not we, I struggle with, is um, you, may, you may realize this, that our sermons are fairly long, I don't know if you picked up on that. And there's a lot of words, a lot of words going on here. And there, there, there's two reasons for that. One, I just talk too much. That's, that's one of them, okay? Uh, but the other one is this, and just want to be really uh, candid with you here, is um, when people show up here, we kind of imagine that there are all sorts of walks of life, right? Some of you, are, you know, like literally were born in the church. So growing up in the old church, been in the church for a really long time, know the Bible, understand the Bible, like talking about the Bible, like studying the Bible and you're showing up here going, I'd actually like to understand a little bit more about who God is and who I am through his word. And you look really um, forward to taking the notes and paying attention and figuring all this stuff out, right? Um, and then on the other side, and no, no judgment, I'm glad all, all, all sides, and this is a spectrum, the spectrum throughout is some of you have never, ever opened a Bible. In fact, today may be the very first time you've even stepped foot in a church. So all this is new. You're watching these people sing these songs, and you're going, I'm not sure what's going on here. And now someone's going to get up and talk to you for, you know, uh, genuinely about 50 minutes here, right? And so um, we're going to talk about the Bible and talk about writers in the Bible, talk about the Gospels. Those are the first four books of the New Testament. And it just seems um, really inconsiderate not to help you understand what we're talking about there. So some of you go, well, I know what the Gospels are. You don't got to tell me their biographies about Jesus' life. I get that. But then on the other side, there are people who are going, I have no idea what the Gospels are. I have no idea what the Bible is. And so we just wrestle in this attention that we just got to manage, never going to solve the problem of making sure that we all get to have this kind of conversation together. So just know we're really mindful here about all sides of that spectrum. So if you've never been to church before, this is a really good place for you to be today. If you've been in church your whole life, this is a really good place for you to be. But what happens as a result is it kind of requires us to talk a lot about these things and bring folks along and add some clarity and some color to the, to the whole deal, which does stretch out the sermon. Now, one of the ways by which we're solving that, not completely solving it, is um, we are going to start offering this week something called overtime, okay? And so what that is, is uh, it's going to be on Tuesdays at noon, um, where there's actually going to be a, a live uh, broadcast where we do this every week. This is live right now if you're on Facebook or online on our website. Hey, good to see you. Um, all those kind of things. Um, but on Tuesday, we'll do the same thing at noon during a lot of people's lunchtime. And what I will do is I'll just cover all the stuff that didn't make the cut as a result of trying to bring everybody along during the week. Now, the other really neat benefit of that is 
as I'm talking here, and maybe I'll use a word you don't know, or maybe you'll want some more clarity around the thought or point or idea. On that bulletin, you can actually just write your question, okay? Just write your question, and then on your way out, you got one or two options. There'll be offering bags that you can just drop them in, or at baskets as you walk out. Or there's an info center if you want to connect with someone. And you can hand them that, that, those questions, and then we'll get together with a team. And then on Tuesday at noon, we'll, we'll follow up with those questions. So another hour about the sermon, about this topic, all the stuff that didn't make the cut will happen at noon every Tuesday. Now you go... Well, I can't get there at noon. That's okay, because we're going to both record it. So it'll be recorded, um, both video and audio, and it will also be on our website from this point forward. So you get back to it two or three weeks there from now, it'll be on video, and you'll be able to download the audio, and you'll be able to listen to it in the car, all those kind of things. So that will happen starting this Tuesday, every single week on Tuesday. So if you have any questions, please, please, please feel free um, to write those questions down. So as we're talking now, if you've got something come up, go ahead and write it down, think about it, and we'll drop it off later, okay? So if you are new here, um, a couple things I just want to cover with you. Uh, the, the way that we usually teach is what we call a series. That just means it takes us several weeks to get through kind of a big idea. And so we're in kind of the the last part to the beginning part of a new series called Jesus Creed, okay? And so we're in week three. We got um, five more weeks. The first three are going to be kind of foundational, okay, all foundational stuff. And then the next five will be some really, really neat case studies and very practical about how this um, works within our life. But here's kind of the premise. Um, We just sang the song. You just heard it. I will build my life upon you. And so we're not trying to do bait and switch here. What we're clearly saying is we think there's a way by which you should build your life. Now, we would argue, Bible would argue, I would say Jesus would argue, and God would argue that the best way to do that is actually building it upon Jesus. But um, before we get there, let me just explain to you what a creed is. So we're doing the series called Jesus Creed. Our argument is Jesus is the way to build your life. But a creed is this. A creed is just a set of beliefs that guide your life, right? Um, Creed is just a way by which you live based on your beliefs and understandings about how the world operates that guide your life. Now, with any kind of creed, you don't have to be a Christian, you don't have to be religious to kind of have creeds. We all have them. Um, There's two different things that we're kind of trying to work through with our creeds in our life. All of us have them, right? The first one is more about how do you enjoy the here and now, right? So that's talking about everything that's in front of you, all the material world. Um, Most of this is where we spend the majority of our energy, why you have a job. Uh, why you want uh, to put some money in savings, why you want your kids to do well in school, why you cut your grass, right? All those things. Those all have to do with the here and now and the creed by which we live it by, right? So you have these beliefs in your world. Maybe you cut your grass because you just want to be a good neighbor. Or maybe you cut your grass because the person across the street cut their grass and your yard needs to look as nice as their yard needs to look. Whatever that is, there is some kind of um, mode of operation, kind of underwriting whatever your behaviors are, right? Don't have to be a Christian, don't have to be religious, but we all have these these creeds by which we live by. You save money, put a, I don't know, maybe you put away 20%, maybe you put away 10%, <coughs> excuse me, maybe you put away 5%, right? Because there's a creed in your mind that go, I need to get to some point in my retirement where I can finally relax, right? Um, most of our creeds, by the way, um, in this world have um, to do with comfort and security, right? So how do I live in a way by which I can have some comfort today, my house, shelter, good food, and security, that I can be confident that tomorrow I'll be okay as well, right? So all of us have these creeds. Most of them fall in those two categories. How are we comfortable and how are we secure? And so that's just the here and now. One of those for your kids, one of those things, right? You have these things about you want your kids to be successful. All these different things are just ways by which we live. And if we are doing this, maybe we're doing it um, subconsciously, it makes sense that we clarify why these creeds are so important to us. Now, while we got this side of creeds, there's a whole other side, and um, you see these pop up a lot at funerals. This is the side where we're talking about, of not no longer about the here and now, but about two different things. One, about what happens 
after the here and now, what I'm talking about is eternity, right? Or even, is there a world out there uh, that's not the material, more immaterial, where love and fate and the universe and all those things kind of exist. Is there a world out there, and if there's another world out there, an immaterial, spiritual, mystical, whatever term you want to um, use, if there is a world out there, how do we get access to it, right? Do you go talk to your medium? Do you get the Ouija board? Do you, I mean, so yeah, that's it. Or do you look deep down inside you for enlightenment, right? Do you make the pilgrimage to wherever it is, somewhere in the middle of the Himalayan mountains to find those things, right? There's so many of us that go, we believe there's something more that we'd like to gain access to. And we all have these understandings that there are some kind of beliefs and therefore behaviors that help us access those things, right? So all of us have these creeds, both about the here and now, and the majority of us have creeds about the, the later, right? You hear it at funerals, stuff like, heaven gained another angel, right? Or, they're in a better place now. Or, may they rest in peace. Or then you use terms like, well, fate led us to this thing, right? It's some kind of serendipitous moment in our life where you met your Here's the word, soulmate, right? All those things have to do with this supernatural or superstitious world that you live in, right? Some of you knock on wood. Like somehow there's some guide watching us. Some of us don't walk in front of a cat, a black cat, or go underneath the ladder, right? Because there's some kind of, maybe it's just silly, right? But there's some kind of possible belief that something is out there, right? So crazy as a, as a pastor, so many people ask me to pray for them that believe none of this stuff. They just, like, um, yeah, and they'll just ask me, hey, will you pray for such and such? And, I, and it's not because they actually believe there's a God out there or believe that God listens to me, but they're hedging their bets. Like, okay, well, this isn't working, but if you have access to something I don't have access to, would you talk to that God or that being or that deity so that you can, so I can at least add one more, like, option out there, right? And so for most of us, there's, all of us, there's this creed of how do we live in the here and now, and then on the other side, there's this creed of how do we have access to that supernatural, mystical, spiritual world, right? And so um, that is a creed, set of beliefs that we live by. Now, another word for creed, you might not like this one, but here here it is anyway, um, is religion, right? And some of you go, oh, no, no, I'm not religious, not religious, that's for other people, that's for my grandma, that's for the crazy lady across the street, that's for all those things, right? I'm not religious, right? Um, And so let me just give you the kind of the working definition of religion, okay, that we've been kind of operating here for the last couple weeks on. Religion is this. Religion is man's attempt, that's all of us, Man, women, all humankind. Religion is humanity's attempt, got it, to either get back to God, build the tower, add the ladder, appease God by the way you eat, drink, uh, which way you pray, how often you pray, how often you fast, how often you go to church, right? Religion is humanity's attempt to either get back to God, right? If you look at all the big worldviews, Judaism, um, Islam, they're all this. If you do these certain things in a certain way, a certain amount of times, your penance, your, all those things. If you do all these things, then eventually the God or the gods out there will finally be happy with you, be appeased by all your behavior, right? So religion is our attempt to either get to God, how do we make God happy with us, or, or the other side of that, become your own God. Now, every time I say that, I, don't, I want to just give you the caveat. I don't mean like you are so arrogant to believe you want people to worship you, no. In a room this size, there's a couple of you out there. I mean, there just is. There's some people that actually wouldn't mind a little bit of worship. That's not a jab at you. It's just the reality of what we live in. Some of us really like the fame and all that kind of stuff. By the way, um, that's increasingly an issue. Right? If you were to survey anyone under the age of 20 at this point, your teenagers, your middle schoolers, their number one desire across the board, generically, like uh, maybe not your kid, but most kids, isn't um, wealth or prosperity, comfort or security. You know what their number one goal is? Fame. 
fame, fame. They want the likes, they want the, like, there literally is a category of people, influencers, who just want the fame to influence how other people live, right? There's influencers, their job is to be an influencer. It's it's very interesting. But uh, for the most part, we're not going, please worship me. Here's what we're saying, we're going, uh, humanity's attempt to either get to God or become their own God. All we're saying is this. Many of us in this room or throughout our culture go, we're not sure there's really a God. Or if there is a God, we're not really sure that we can gain access to that God, appease that God, make that God happy. He's not talking to me. So if he's not made himself known, I've asked him to a couple times and given him a couple opportunities to, you know, do some kind of supernatural event that convinced me he's real. He did that. didn't save grandma. didn't do whatever it is, right? And so you go, either God is not real or if he is real, I haven't had any access to him. I haven't heard from him. So the best possible thing I can do is just uh, create my own little kingdom and be in charge of it, right? So I'll just be the God of my little uh, domain, your house, your job, you know, your bank account, uh, your retirement plan, right? You're not saying I, I, I want people to worship me. You're just saying the best thing I can do is to count on me. If it's to be, it's up to me, right? So you're not saying I don't think there's a God and I want people to worship me. You're just saying I don't know if there's a God and therefore the best thing I can do is just be my own God, be in charge of my own life, take the bull by the horns, be responsible, all those things. And frankly, it's a very um, Western, I'm talking about uh, in terms of uh, like American uh, belief system that your best thing to do is be the strongest, mightiest person. And if anything good's gonna happen in your life, it's gonna be because of your hard work, Right? That's just it, right? So we just go, nope, I'll just be in control. I'll take over things myself. Now, there are some of you that go, no, I actually believe there's a God. I just think he's a buzzkill. I believe there's a God, but the things he wants from me are, um, they don't offer any pleasure. They don't offer any joy. So why in the world would I follow his plans if those don't sound very fun anyway, right? So some of that's probably because you have the wrong understanding of what God wants for you. The other part is, we just live in this defiance where we go, nope, we like our plan better than God's plan. Nope, God, I see you got a plan over here. I'm just going to operate with my own. Right? You're just going to be the God of your own life. So those are just some creeds by which all of us live by. No judgment, none of that kind of stuff. Just kind of working through going, okay, if that's the case, then let's figure out if those things work for us. Now, the problem, uh, going back 2,000, 3,000 years, is people have always been trying to figure this out. And kind of the camps that most people have landed on, this is, again, general. Maybe yours is a little bit more, it's a spectrum, maybe in the middle of these. There's two kind of, big prevailing philosophies on this. You can go back 2,500 years and look at them. On one side, there's these religious folks who go, nope, God gave us some words, Torah, Quran, Bible. And if you follow the rules, God is happy with you. If you don't follow the rules, God is upset with you. The way that you get back to God is by following the rules. Now, so some people, you know, they hold up their signs, tell you to follow their rules because those are God's rules, all that kind of stuff. But deep down, the problem with that creed is if we're all, to be honest, we're not very good at following our own rules, much less God's rules, right? So what this leads us is one of two places every time. Either pride, because we're better at following the rules than the other people are, or despair. And eventually you do it long enough where it literally leaves you in a place of hopelessness because deep down you know you're not as good as you want people to believe you are, right? So in the, the rule category, if the creed is follow the rules, follow the rules, follow the rules, eventually you understand that you're not good enough to follow the rules. Now on the other side, so there is 2,500 years ago, kind of the the leaders of this movement were the Jews. These are religious people from uh, God's chosen people that you would learn about in the Old Testament that said, no, just follow the rules. What they were missing is God wouldn't give them the rules to follow them. God was giving them the rules to give them some emotional intelligence for them to come to the conclusion they couldn't follow the rules. Now, as some of these folks are starting to pick this up, they're going, well, if that's not the case, there must be a different way. 
And so about 2,500 years ago, this term came out called logos. It's a Greek term. Literally, it almost means creed. It just means the way of life, the meaning of life. Now, the Jews would use it to mean it's God's word because that word translates word. But these guys are going, either we look deep down inside of us, find our own enlightenment, find our own way of life, find our own purpose, find our own joy, and find this deep connection with God. Now, the longer they searched, the more they realized that they couldn't find it. I mentioned to you last week, it's like Ponce de Leon looking for the fountain of youth. There is nothing you can take that'll extend your life by 50 years, right? There's just, there's just nothing, right? And so these guys kept thinking that they would find the meaning of life and couldn't find it in all their philosophy and all their academics, could not find this deep meaning of life. So a couple of different people did a couple of different things. One was a guy named Epicurus, and he said, just enjoy pleasure. Okay, if there's none of that stuff, just eat, drink, and be merry. Many of us operate in that category, but we know if we eat, drink, and be merry too long, it doesn't really work out well for us, right? It actually isolates us. It causes us pain, causes the people around us pain when all we do is seek pleasure. Another group said, well, if there is no God, let's just pretend, the Stoics, that there is a God, and let's pretend to be moral, right? Many of us just do that. We don't know if there's a God, so we're just going to behave. We're going to do our civic duty. We're going to uh, participate in local government. We're going to uh, join the Kiwanis Club. All these different things because we understand that life is better for our families when we're actually good citizens. And yet, deep down they understood, but that didn't get them access to this life, both now and for a future that they were looking for. Now, at that time, 2,000 years ago, John, one of Jesus' followers, um, he's referred to in the scriptures as John the Beloved, something interesting happened. So John was invited, once Jesus shows up on this planet, to start following him. And Jesus pretty clearly starts say, uh, clear, quickly starts saying that the goal is that they should change the way they think. The word in the Bible is repent. Uh, for the kingdom of God, this new way of living, both for the here and now, and the access, the future eternity that God has promised. Both sides of that, Jesus is going, repent. You've got to change the way you think because all that, everything you're looking for is at hand. You can access this kingdom, right? So he started saying this. And then eventually he actually reveals the secret that the way by which they get the kingdom of God is actually Jesus says through him. In fact, he says something that many of us consider very arrogant and dogmatic. And I would go, it's not arrogant, but it is confident. And it's not dogmatic, but it is specific. And in John chapter 14, he tells us that he is the way to this life everybody's looking for. He is the truth, meaning truth is not some um, relative belief that each people have and you all have your own truth. He goes, no, no, truth is a person, I'm it. He is the way, the truth, and then he says he's the life, right? The way by which all these things, if you're looking for how to enjoy the here and now and get access to God later, he goes, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So John, one of his followers, captures this thought and then um, starts continuing to follow Jesus. And what we know throughout history and the Bible is that Jesus eventually gets murdered for this belief. He literally says he's God, that he's the way. And people go, no, 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 you're messing with our, our rules, you're messing with our way of life. We need people to try to follow our rules. We need them to fail. And we need them to pay us big consultation fees to help them with their life, right? And so they go, no, no, no. And they literally murder Jesus, which you would think would be a horrific plan for a horrific thing for the, the movement of God. But Jesus, uh, scriptures capture it, eternity captures it. Three days later, um, comes back out of the grave and back to life. Now, for those eyewitnesses, that was a very profound moment. And all of a sudden, they started reanalyzing, thinking about all the declarations that Jesus had made. Okay, if he literally can defeat death, then perhaps, perhaps he is the Logos. Perhaps he is the creed. Perhaps there is a better way to live. And thousands and then millions of people started following him to the point where they gave up their life for him. They were murdered for these beliefs, but they were so confident that he truly was the way, the truth, and the life as a result of his resurrection, right? And so John, after Jesus dies and comes back to life, and then 40 days later ascends and go back to heaven, John, 
we would say as Christians, um, was inspired and empowered and called to write a biography about his life, right? And so that's uh, the gospel of John. In the beginning of it, John says, he tells us in John chapter 20, that the whole reason he writes this is so that we would believe. And then he starts it by saying, in the beginning was the creed or the logos. And the creed was with God. The logos was with God. And the logos was God, right? And so he's going, there actually is a way by which you could live that's better. And then even um, expounds on that a little bit more in John chapter 1, verse 14, he says, and that logos, that creed, it didn't stay ethereal out there with just the words. It says it became flesh and made its dwelling, set up his tent, moved into the neighborhood, built the house among us. So Jesus goes, let me show you how to live. And then he literally shows up on this planet to show us that there is a way to enjoy the life now and gain access to all eternity. And it's all through a person. So pretty important stuff. So John kind of sets that up. And then the next person that John kind of highlights in the scriptures is a guy named John the Baptist. Different John than John the Beloved, the the writer. And John the the Baptist shows up and just starts saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. There is a better way to live. There is, you're, you're missing it. You're missing the logos. There is a better way to live. And so John starts making this declaration that there is a better way to live. Now, what's gonna happen next in John chapter three is this, religious guy who operates in this belief that there's some creed that if you follow the rules, God's happy with you, comes to Jesus at night, his name's Nicodemus, and asks him, is there really a better way to live? And he actually asks this, what must you do to be born again? Meaning, is there a way to start over? Is there a way to be born into this, this eternal world? Like, that's his question. And next week, we will dive deep into that story. But then right after that, uh, John uh, is going to want to tell us another story and give us a really beautiful analogy to help us understand what he's trying to communicate. Now, if you were not here last week, we, we tackled a, a pretty difficult conversation on evil. Can't get back into it today. You can go back and listen to it. But the big, one of the big thoughts last week is a lot of us view e- good and evil like, as, uh, like a dualism, meaning they're equals, Right? There's an angel and there's a demon and they're at war and we're not sure who's going to win. There's this arm wrestling and kind of the understanding is, no, no, that's not the case. God is all powerful. He is great. He will win. And so good will be victorious over evil. You see it in the scriptures and you go, so they're not equals. No, they're not yin and yang. But John, knowing that that's a really, really complicated thing for us to gather, gives us another beautiful analogy, um, metaphor of how we can see the war between good and evil. And so let me read those words, and I promise it'll make a lot of sense for you today as we're trying to sort through how do we live this, this creed, creedal life, like this life that's full of hope and joy and meaning, both for here and for all eternity. So stay with me. But John chapter 3, beginning with verse 19, here's what the biographer says. He's just come out of this moment where Jesus has talked to Nicodemus. Come back next week to hear more about that. But John chapter 3, verse 19, this is what John says. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Remember, we're dealing with this good versus evil. And so John is helping us understand which side evil's on. And he gives us this really pretty picture. He goes, okay, um, people, the light came into the world, okay? And this, in John chapter 1, he also declares this. This light is Jesus. This light is good. So light comes into the world, but there is an issue. Already in the world, and none of us have to argue this. I don't have to spend any time on this point because you know there's evil in the world. And the way that John describes evil is as darkness. Now, to be really clear here, you'll get this. Um, Light and darkness are not equals, right? Light and darkness, they're not like at war with each other and we're not sure who's going to win, right? By definition, by definition, darkness is just an absence of light. That's it. Darkness is an absence of light. They are not equals. They don't coexist. Darkness cannot create itself. 
It just exists. The solution for defeating darkness is very, very simple. Bring light into it. That's it, right? So darkness is just an absence of light. Who's going? If you want to understand good and evil, good is light. Darkness is evil. So how do you overcome darkness? How do you overcome evil? Really simple. You bring in the light. You bring in the good. And so if there's any area of our lives and our world that's dark, the last thing we need to do is sit on Facebook and tell darkness to become light, right? Darkness is not capable of becoming light. By definition, darkness literally is an absence, a wholehearted, 100% absence of light. No matter how much you scream at the darkness, it will never become light. No matter how much you scream at the evil, it will never become good. You get this? Like, so it is an indictment. If you're not a Christian, sit back and spectate here for a second. Right? This is an indictment on us as Christians every time we want to whine and moan about all the darkness in our world. Because you know why there's darkness there? Because light hasn't been brought to it. No, here's the thing we're really good at, church. We're really good at bringing all of our light into this building, right? We're really good at bringing the light into more light. Like we have our neat little light conventions. And then we get in here and feel really good at looking out there and going, oh, they're so bad and so dark, right? You know why they're dark? Because no light, light has been brought into the darkness. So John's going, look, our world was entirely dark. These people thought it was about obeying the rules. These people thought it was all about self-enlightenment. And they lived in this darkness, now, throughout the scriptures, you'll see darkness explained as an ignorance, right? So they lived in this unawareness, this lack of emotional intelligence, lack of understanding, because they just walk in darkness. And, he, and John is going to explain this. There's two reasons for this. One is because there's just an absence of light, right? So they go, light comes in and darkness flees. Now, that doesn't mean it fixes everything, because some of us actually don't want to live in light. We actually want to live in darkness, like, I'm, I don't want to spend much time here, but I'm just reading this week um, all this dark web stuff out there and the stuff that exists in that world, the videos that exist in that world, and it is. I can't even, I can't even talk about it out loud because it, is, because it is so demonic and so dark. And so there literally are folks who love darkness because of what they gain in the darkness towards their pleasure right, in terms of their oppression. The first thing that sin does is it says, we're not interested in you, God. But the, the result of that in our lives is always that we view people as a means to our end and pleasure. And it's horrific, which is why it is so important that we bring our light into every corner of this world and bring our light into it. Not that we can fix anything. It's not the solution. The solution is light invades darkness. So good and evil do not coexist. Good and evil are not equals, right? Good will be victorious over evil. Light and darkness are not, they don't, they can't ever be in the same room. So the reality is whenever light is brought in, darkness can no longer exist in that place. Now it might go find a different place to be dark, but light and darkness cannot coexist. So John is going, look, in, there was, in the beginning, then this is the verdict, light has come in the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And part of us have to, in this room, we have to go, do you want to stay in darkness? Because it will destroy you. And it will destroy the people around you. But some of us haven't come to the conclusion that we're ready to find ourselves in light. And I can't fix that for you. But I'm going to give you a solution by which that, how that's fixed if you're interested. And it's in the scriptures. Here's the next verse. Everyone who does evil, you know what they do? They hate the light. And will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So there is a category of people that really 
have no interest in living in the light. They are miserable, broken people. And we have a category in our heart with our own stuff that we are so afraid of bring, bringing into the light because we're going, okay, if people knew that about me, they wouldn't be my friends. So we'd spend this time and energy. We wouldn't be accepted. We wouldn't be loved. Trying to hide this part of us. So we got two different things we're going on, dealing with here. One is there's evil in this world that's defined as darkness, and there are parts of our own life that are also dark and evil. So how do we come to grips with those, and what do we do? So here's what happens next. But whoever lives by the truth, they come into the light. So when if you want to operate with this new creed, particularly for those of us who believe Jesus is Lord, if you want to operate with this new truth, this new creed, there is only one option, and it's to come into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So this is interesting. It's not saying so that they can, what, they can be, what they do now can be seen by God, because the reality is God sees all things. He sees all things. But there comes this conclusion for us that we finally switch and go, whatever I do in the dark, whatever I do in the light, I do it before a mighty and holy and perfect God, right? So that may seem, uh, uh, has been done in the sight of God. Verse 22, after this, so John makes his declaration. So just John three sixteen just happened for God to love the world. This is the story of Nicodemus. Come back next week for that one. And then John's gonna give us an understanding of what's actually at war here, good and evil and light and darkness. And so what Jesus came to do is call us all into his light, call us all into his light. By the way, in light is where you find freedom. In light is where you find this here and now full of joy. In light is where you find an eternity with God. So he's calling us all into this thing. And then he basically says, but there are some of us who are not interested in that because we want to be the God of our own life. Some of us are not interested in that because we just want to do our own things and be our own way. And so uh, then he's going to give us a picture of how we kind of battle this, right? So now he's going to uh, turn the camera just a little bit. And this is what it says next. Verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside. So right after he had this conversation with Nicodemus, right after John offered some commentary, Jesus is going out into... um, uh, uh, the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Remember, there's this picture of old us going, dark us going, us coming into light, being washed and cleaned and spiritually alive. Going, okay, I now get it. There's a new creed. There's a new way of life. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Change the way you think. I now understand that there's a better way to live and people who wanted that would come to Jesus and say, lead me in that way. And Jesus would go, okay, let me give you a symbol. Let me give you something symbolic to make this declaration. Old you being washed knew you coming up completely forgiven, completely well before him, born again, and welcome to that. So uh, John's going to pan the scene and go, after this, Jesus is now baptizing, okay? So you've got to see the scene. Jesus is baptizing in the water. Now watch this, next verse. Now John, this is John the Baptist, the one we talked about the last couple of weeks, was also baptizing at Anon near Salim. <laughs> this is so funny, because there was plenty of water, right? And this is what it says. And people were coming and being baptized. So you got to see this. Okay, so John, the beloved, the biographer about Jesus' life, is now going to pan the picture, give us some commentary, and now he's going to show us this picture. And in this picture, there's a big Jordan River, okay? This big river going through. And on either side, you've got two different baptisms. Now, if TLC would have saw this, they would have gone, i got a great idea for a show, baptism wars, right? And so you got two different people, and they're baptizing. It's okay, there's plenty of water. John wants us to know this isn't about water. This isn't about one of them using the other person's water. There's plenty of water, right? And so these two different people are baptizing. Now, if you know anything about John the Baptist, and if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you would, John the Baptist kind of showed up, and he had, he had one market. In fact, his name throughout the scriptures and throughout history is John the Baptist, the baptizer, like on his business card, his entire identity was known as the guy who baptizes people. 
John the Baptist. That's how we talk about him 2,000 years later. Now imagine this. John is baptizing. Now, his goal was to declare that Jesus is Lord. Remember, he's the one that says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John is the, kind of the front runner with the bullhorn saying, Prepare the way. Pause. Behold. Take a moment. Look up. Because everything you've been looking for, the logos, all the created stuff, all the ways that you have a good here and now, and you get access for all eternity. All those things all are in this one guy. So John had one plan. It was to baptize people and tell them there's a hope and a future and all that kind of resolved in a new creed, Jesus. So he's baptizing with this news. Now, on the other side of the river, Jesus, the one that he's talking about is also baptizing. So they're going, we got water. Yes, we do. We got water. How about you. And then, you know, like there's this, this, this war that you would think going on. Now, there's some people going, okay, if Jesus is, if John's whole livelihood is all about baptism, his whole influence is all that, what does this do when the guy that he's been talking about is now going to be the guy who's baptizing? Like, what happens to John? What happens to his livelihood? So, watch what happens next. So, funny, um, verse 24 says, this is before John was put in prison. So, things are not going to end well for John. So that you know, no, he's going to go out declaring that he's going to be welcomed into eternity. And it's going to be good and glorious and perfect. But the first thing that's going to happen to John is he's going to be put in prison. And his joy, which he's going to tell you is made complete in Jesus, eventually he's going to continue to kind of light up all sorts of places to the point where the darkness hates his light. And so what do you do when you hate the light? You, you smash it, right? So this idea that if you have light in your life, everything is good, it's like, and here's a really easy analogy. Think about in all the darkness when you cut that light on outside. All those moths and all that nasty just, just goes right at it, right? And so this doesn't end well for John. Don't get to preach about this, but this isn't. If you pray the prayer, if everything goes good, life is all puppies and rainbows. Nope, there's still suffering and it is still hard and it is still difficult. And yet John goes, this is the best way to live now, full of life. And this is the best way and the only way to get access to that eternal realm for Ever. We're talking about 10 billion years from now, right? John made this declaration 2,000 years ago, and we are still talking about him. And his life is glorious right now. And one day, for those of us Christians, we'll get to engage with him on this, right? We get to have this conversation with him. Now, John was also baptizing. This was before Jesus was, John was put in prison. Verse 25. Now, watch this. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. So... He's going, wait, that doesn't do anything. Are you baptizing? There's water. Wait, he's doing water. What are y'all both doing? Y'all doing the same thing, right? They came to John and said to him, at first they're going to puff him up, Rabbi, now these guys have exiled him out into the wilderness, didn't consider any of his teaching, but now all of a sudden, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him, right? This is what's so messy about the church. It's so dangerous because it's like, declaration that's all about Jesus and all about his kingdom. What he's basically dangling here is going, yeah, but your flock is going to dwindle. You're not going to be able to pay your church mortgage or your home mortgage, right? Like, I mean, he's, he's coming at this so uncomfortable because, well, I'd like to pretend like none of that exists. Old, does it? I'll just be very candid with you here, and this is why I think light's so important. Um, it's weird to talk to you guys about money, right? Uh, just so you know, and this is not about money. I, we, we have a budget that starts in January, ends in December, so our Towards the end of the month is really, or end of the year, December particularly, is usually twice what the other months are, really kind of a complicated thing. And so right now, as we look at our budget, we're actually down 5% for the year. And it's like, do I talk, tell everybody about it? Like, do we talk about it? Do we just let, wait and see what God does? Or all those weird things. And it feels so uncomfortable to talk to you about any of it. Here's why. 
because I, I, I receive a, a really nice salary from you guys, and I pay my mortgage from this. I have a nice Jeep. We have a swimming pool, right? And so it seems so weird to talk to you about all these things and go, I, don't, I think I'm being objective, but even in my best objectiveness, there's still some subjectivity in it, right? And so this is, it's just so complicated. The minute you start trying to figure out all the plans and the rules and all the, you know, the physical respons- fiscal responsibilities. And so John is coming at this, right? And they come to him and, and they go, hey, your livelihood's about to be in trouble, right? Oh no, they're going to another church, right? They're going to the Baptist church, whatever it is, right? John, the Baptist church, whatever. They're going to these different things and there's some, you would think there'd be some anxiety in that, but watch John's response, really, really beautiful. Here's what he says. To this, John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. Ah, man, may I believe that. May we believe that. Oh, no, 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 no. So silly. You think you can get something and create something and manufacture something. But if you create it and manufacture it, then it is always up to you to take care of it, Josh. If you've got to drum up money in this place, then you're going to live in that anxiety from this point forward because in the back of your head, you're actually going to believe it's you that do, do all this. So John's going, no, no, here's the reality. Here's the reality. Hey, church, this is our reality. Anything good that happens to our church or anything good that happens in our world is only a gift from God from heaven. That's it. There is nothing good I can offer you or do for you. There's nothing good that our church can manufacture or create that is good for us. Anything good only comes from heaven, right? So we got to just continue to shine light in that. If God's going to do anything, God's going to have to do it, right? If we are doing it, it is not from God. It's got to come from him. We got to bring light in this. By the way, what happens throughout the history, what's happened throughout the history of the church is people have tried to bring light to these things. And the people in charge, the one with the keys, the one with the controls, the one whose mortgages are um, connected to it, they didn't let a lot of these things come to light. Do you know what they did? They put more darkness on top of it, right? We're seeing all sorts of scandal. You can name the denomination and we can see the scandal. Most of it, by the way, has to do with what happens in the darkness and most of it has to do with pleasure and sex. And so there's this thing, we have to bring these things to light. And what John is going, we got to understand if good things happen, it all comes from God. So you're talking to me about me being concerned about my well-being. If I am taken care of, it, it's only because God takes care of me. That's what John's saying, right? So only good things come from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah. Ah, oh, what a relief. I don't fix things. I can't fix things. This is such a relief for me because it's like, I can't fix you. Personally, I can't. You know what? I can't fix your marriage or your family. I can't fix my own, right? Like, I am, every time I try to take control and be in charge, it never works well, right? So the reality is John C. on here is going, I am not the Messiah. We are not the Messiah. Like Jesus alone is the Messiah. I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. I'm going, my goal was to stand up and tell you that there is a Messiah, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There is a Messiah. And so then John gives another illustration. He goes, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. Okay? So throughout the scriptures, this is really, really important. From the very beginning, the very first institution that God established after creating humanity is marriage. And the purpose of marriage is not to make us complete, not to fulfill our sexual desires, not even to procreate, right? That's a a piece of it, procreation. But the purpose of marriage is to model what it's like to be connected to Jesus right? The purpose of marriage, it actually says that he takes two distinctly different people and he puts them together, right? Not for the sake of our pleasure, but for the sake of understanding his unity. Two distinctly different people. The the word that's used throughout the scriptures is consummation, that one day things will be made whole and 
complete, right? We will one day be completely made whole with God. And so what John is describing here is he's going, the bride, that's the church, that's humanity, belongs to the bridegroom. That's Jesus, that's the light. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. So I'm just the friend waiting to tell you the wedding's about to start. And is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. He's going, I've been preaching this, I've been declaring repent for the kingdom of God is near. And all of a sudden I see Jesus and I am full of joy. Why? That joy is mine. Why? Because it's now complete. John's going, I've done my job. I've done my job. I can't do anything else. I can't save you. I can't fix you. I can just point you to the one who can fix you, right? And so right now, one of the things I think uh, the church, uh, big church struggles with and just want to bring it out into light is this idea that kind of at the forefront of our responsibility is behavior modification. Like that somehow I'm trying to, supposed to teach you how to be more good, right? To sin less. And what happens when we start talking about all of your behaviors and how you should give more money or do more things, what ends up happening is you either do those things out of your own flesh and you're really strong and you do it for a while and then you can't sustain it, but you now believe because you are in a church that that's the responsibility, you now have to come to church and pretend that you do. So what happens is all these people come to church after you've all had fights in the car, right? You've all been yelling at each other, mad at your kids, right? All sorts of stuff. And then you get out of the doors and you put on that smile and like, yeah right? There's just this responsibility that we show up with this big mask and pretend like our lives are good because we believe that's what the church is supposed to do, right? And so John is going, I can't save you. I can't fix you. We can't fix you. But if you want to be whole and healthy and live in the here and now and enjoy life and get access to, to Jesus and God for all eternity, there is a way to do it, but there is no pastor. There is no Sunday school teacher. There is no small group leader. There is no children's worker who is going to be able to do that for you. So then John makes this huge declaration, so, so important, that helps us form how we connect to God, find healing, find hope, and find joy in the here and now, and gain access to God for all eternity. And this is probably one of John's top three most famous quotes that he declares. And here's what it is. He must become greater. I must become less. You see that? Here it is in John chapter 3, verse 30. He must become greater. I must become less. So this is cute, really quippy, lots of really good bumper stickers on this, and it can fit on, the uh, on a, a coffee mug. In fact, you can just put, you see it, there's the H-E, capital H-E, and then the alligator sign, the greater than sign. That means it's pointing to the left, right? That's what that means. And then the I, he, greater than I, right? So beautiful, so clever, and really, really good, and really, really true, and boy, is it complicated, okay? So when I read this passage, talk about this passage, I go, okay, there, okay there's two different pieces. I got to decrease. He's got to increase. Yeah, he's got to become greater. I got to become less. And so then we go, well, how do we do that? And let me tell you how it usually shakes itself out in the church. We go, okay. So imagine that there's light and darkness. Now, this isn't completely dark. I didn't put any, um, sorry, uh, any kind of like food coloring in it. But I would say this kind of represents our life, okay? It's not completely dark and dirty, but it definitely ain't clean. You got it? Like, this is just, this is how we all show up in church. Just like this, right? I'm like, oh, that's so good. And then you hear this passage and you go, oh, I know what it is. And I'm supposed to follow this Jesus creed. He must become greater. I must become less. But how would he become greater in this, right? Because all of us are filled at our brim, right? Don't tell us to do another thing. We're exhausted. So we've got this marginless life. And you're going, oh, now I've got to do another thing. And so you go, well, in order for him to become greater, what has to happen first? We've got to make some room. So you grab it, and you're going, oh, yeah, 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 I get this. Okay, let me work on this. And you go, okay, I must become less. Oh, okay. Okay, let's see. Okay, let's see. Okay. 
Told you it's going to be three hours. It must become last. It must become last. Okay, let's see now. Okay. So let's put the clear stuff. We'll call that Jesus here, right? And okay, okay, here we go. Let's put some of that in there. Woo, doesn't that feel good, guys? Oh, man, like I'm so glad I went to church. Everything's better now. Got a little of my Jesus in the cup. Everything's good. And you look at it and you're like, and it looks exactly the same. So you're going, okay, got to go back next week. Got to go back next week. Come back next week. Okay, goodness, boy, this is a lot of decreasing. Man, there's a lot of junk in my life. Oh, man. Okay, fine, fine, right? And get it out, get it out, right? Whatever it is, you have this big supernatural experience and you dump it all out, dump it all out, and you're like, oh, now I got some room, right? Okay, finally, all this work, repented of the sin, uh, went to the counseling, figured out all the stuff that's wrong with me, which I would recommend, right? Coming to all these things and going, this is all my family of origin stuff. If I can get rid of all the stuff, right? Then finally, finally, right? I can get Jesus into my life. Oh, doesn't that feel good? Okay, I got some in there, got some in there, nothing else, don't want anything else in there. Put the lid on it, all right, we're done. Put the lid, put the lid, that's good. Oh, doesn't that feel good? Except, this is a lot like what our lives feel like, right? Got this issue where we got some good in us. See a little bit of hope, a little bit of joy. Life's getting a little better. Oh, there it is. That was a good day. Man, look at that. It's a couple of good days, right? And then we show up at church and we hope people see all this stuff in us. But you know how it works. Every now and then, someone pushes that button. Maybe it's in the car. Maybe it's when you walk into church. Maybe it's on that, on that Tuesday morning at work. All of a sudden, you lose your Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> right? Right? You lose it. You're like, oh, goodness, right? And what really is happening is you are seeing this battle between these two things, right? And this is what's so complicated. Everybody says, ask Jesus in your life. You ask Jesus in your life. Come on into my life, right? And you think, oh, it's going to fix everything. Life's going to be so much better. But the reality is it doesn't make it better. It actually exhausts us more. It's like, I thought I was getting to somewhere, and I thought I was figuring out. But the reality is all that's really happening in your life is you are realizing the deep disparity between your humanity and God's divinity, you see, this is a complicated part if you become a Christian. You now invite Jesus into your life. And now you can really see a stark contrast between this and this. I didn't realize I was that dark, but then when you put it to light, boy, am I dark. And so we don't know what to do. So you know what we do instead? We go, uh, let's add more to our calendar, right? We just shake it up so that nobody realizes that there's this huge disparity between us. Shake it up, shake it up, right? Just shake it up, shake it up, shake it up. Okay, add it. New, new schedule for the kids. Okay, get to another Bible study. Go to church more. Get the kids to d- dress better. Right? Get them to behave better. Pretend better. Cut the grass more, right? Somehow we think that's going to fix it. But the reality is all we're actually doing is making it more cloudy. And we can't see anything. So we're all walking around with these jars going, wait, if he was supposed to decrease, I mean, if I was supposed to decrease, and he was supposed to increase, and I did that plan, but it didn't bring me the life that you're talking about as life. It actually brought me to this place of, Deep confusion and deep chaos and deep anxiety. And the reality is, who wants to live like this? And this is what the church is offering. Decrease a little more. Add a little bit more Jesus. And the more you add Jesus, the more the disparity happens. And then when things settle, every now and then they'll settle, you go, there he is. But boy, there's so much in me. Boy, there's so much in me. And this is what's so brilliant about this passage and it's so easy to miss. That he must become greater, I must become less. You hear something crazy? In the Greek, that entire two-part sentence is three words. Three words. That entire thing, he must become greater and I must become less. It's just three words. 
Just three words. The whole thing in the Greek is explained in three words. So when John is making this declaration, he is saying it in three words. The first word is the word day, and I'm not going to tell you any more of the Greek words. I don't want us to get lost in that stuff. It means um, the object I'm talking about, the subject I'm talking about, must, right? So that means at first, he must is one word, and it means it is necessary for him to, right? So the very first word, if you see it in order, it is necessary for him to, that's the first word that John is saying, and then the second one is increase, it is necessary for him to increase. So the solution for this isn't figuring out all the junk in your life. That What John is saying is, look, for this to work, the first thing is that it is necessary for him to increase. That's the first two words, covers the first sentence. That second part, I must become less, is all one word. And it means, as the result of, I will decrease. You see this? Like, this is, this is prescriptive. This is a formula. Literally what the scriptures are saying, John's going, if he increases into my life, if he increases in my life, the natural product of the increase of him in my life is it, will, it cannot happen any other way. I will decrease. The natural product of Jesus increasing into my life means that I will decrease. And you go, well, that's not even possible. There's no more room for him to increase. And this is where you go, we got to do margin. we got to get our life together. we got to figure all this stuff out. No, 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 stay with me. Because and I understand why you think that. It's like, well, what? it doesn't make sense to ask Jesus into all this chaos. Right, that's not very thoughtful or kind of me. It's just going to all spill out, right? Just such a waste. Now watch what John says next. Really, really important. He's going to explain to us. <coughs> I'm sorry. He's going to explain to us this, this complication. Watch what he says next, verse 31. The one who comes from above, that's the, it's Jesus. The one who comes from above, right? The one who comes from above, <coughs> really brilliant, is above all. Thanks, John. That makes sense. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth. So he's going, there's... Humanity and deity. And boy, do you know that war. There's humanity and there's deity. Those are the two things we're battling. There's our flesh that walks in darkness, wants our own joy, wants our own pleasure, and then there's deity. The one who comes from heaven is above all. So he's going, hey, what we're looking for, this purpose, this meaning, this savior, all comes from heaven, right? Remember, nothing we can do, nothing we can do. Then he says this. He, that's Jesus, testifies to what he has seen and heard. Boy, but no one accepts his testimony. And I would argue some of the reason is because we've done a really bad job teaching you, telling you if you get the junk out of your life, all of a sudden things will get better. Ask Jesus in your heart and everything will be fixed. Right? And so we live in this behavior modification world. And then he says this, verse 33, really, really important, guys. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. So let me ask you a question, particularly those who are Christians. If you're not a Christian, really good time for you to consider this too. Do you believe God is truthful? I'm like, really, do you? Let me offer just a passage. Jesus points out in John chapter 10, talking about the pain and suffering and the complications of our really messy life. He says that, um, Jesus says, I have, uh, that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, create all sorts of complications in life. But Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the fullest. Do you believe that? Do you believe that um, Jesus has come to give you a full life? And if you do, let me ask you a follow-up question. Are you currently experiencing that full life? And if not, what does that do for you? My guess is it makes you feel bad. Like, oh, I got to do more, right? Got to empty out more of the empty out more of the jar. Oh gosh, he says good life. I got to get the other stuff out. I got to put the. I got to. I got to clear the search history. I got to invite people in. I got to get the small group. I got to get the accountability group. All these things, right? 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 This is this anxiety of going. Well, if I believe it is true and I am not experiencing it, it must be that I am behaving wrongly. 
And for the rest of us, we've tried this over and over again to the point where we go, I'm not even sure if I really believe it anymore. So he's going, he testifies this. Whoever is accepted as certified that God is truthful. Now watch this, verse 34. You cannot miss this. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. So he's going, Jesus is giving us this creed to live by. For God, see this? Gives the Spirit without limit. Really important that you understand this. So our fear is, okay, if we invite Jesus in our life, but it doesn't clean it all up, I gotta get on my life order, gotta make some more space. He's going, no, 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 no. The thing is, you can't be a good, you can't be a poor steward of God's Spirit. Because it is infinite. The same reason when he created the world in the beginning, he said, I have infinite love and infinite affection to pour on my people. It's not like it's going to be wasted. There's just more in it. So what he's saying is, I want you to see this. He's going, hey, hey, John's going. The, the reality is, first he has to increase. It's necessary to. It is a must in order for you to decrease. Wait, but I don't have any room in my life to decrease. Well, don't worry about it. Just do this. Think through this. Uh, come on, yes, I got the lid off. Okay, just do this, right? He's not saying behave yourself. He's not saying fix yourself. He's not saying find all the problems with yourself. Get all the junk out of your life. Go find it, dig it, fill it deep, fill it low, fill it everywhere. Just find it, find it, work on it, find it, find it, work on it. Go to church more, empty out more stuff. He's going, no, 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 no. What you don't get is the spirit is without limit. In other words, the only thing you have to do in this deal is open up the windows, open up the doors, and go, God, would you please increase? Jesus, would you please increase? Jesus, would you increase into my life? You see this? You see this? You're not doing any of the work. None of us are doing anything. We did nothing right now to get any of the junk out of our life. What do we do? We opened up our lid and go, I'm not sure I'm going to contain all this, but Jesus, I think you can free me from it. So what John is saying is, for the one whom God has sent, he speaks the words of God because it's without limit. And so, here's what this means for us. It means that we don't try to get all the junk out of our life. It means we double down on the amount of time we spend inviting Jesus into our life. Right? It doesn't mean we spend all of our time and energy doing any kind of behavior modification. No more behavior modification. You cannot fix yourself. The more you try to take the reins, the worse things will get for you. Right? This spends no time trying to do behavior modification. No time trying to fix yourself. Instead, double down on the amount of time that you're inviting Jesus into your life right? So he's going, he must increase. Forget about the decrease. Ignore the decrease. He must increase. And as a result of the increase, guess what will naturally happen? You will decrease. This is why I think you should come to Cal on Wednesday nights. Not just so we can have a friend, think you should have a friend, but so that Jesus can increase in your life. This is why I think you should tune in on Tuesdays to, to jump into the scriptures more and learn more. Not because it will fit you with your behavior, but because Jesus can increase in your life, right? So there's this really beautiful song by Leonard Cohen. It's actually not that beautiful. The lyrics are. The song's kind of weird, and it's called um, he says, ring the bell, ring the bell. Really, really interesting. He's the one who wrote Hallelujah, and he talks about, and he says, there's cracks, there's cracks in everything. But that's how the light gets in. See, the reality is we have these cracks in our life. We go, we've got to cover them up, we've got to cover them up. No, no, please don't cover them up. Please don't hide them. Instead, just acknowledge that they're there and leave them there. And even if that's how Jesus engages in your life, that's how the light gets in. And he says this, whoever believes, uh, the Father loves the Son, and has placed everything in his hands. He's going, if you if you want this, this is the only offering for you. If you want this, this is the only way by which you get it. Jesus fixes things. Jesus heals things. Jesus removes. Jesus d- does the decrease, right? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. So he's going, the reality is, from the beginning of your life, you had this propensity to choose you over everything else. 
your pleasure, all those things. And the reality is it has wrecked your life and brought so much darkness into it. And as long as we keep telling God, we got it, we'll fix it, we got it from here, you will continue to experience the wrath of the consequences of choosing you and your arrogance to believe that you can fix you over everything else. It's the wrath we continue to experience. So whoever believes in the Son, whoever believes that it really is more about inviting Jesus into every part of us, they'll experience eternal life. Whoever says, put our lid on and go, God, we want nothing to do with you. The reality is you will experience this hell and torment that you're already experiencing now from here in perpetuity. It's not to scare you. That's not to anger you. It's going, there is a God who is the solution for all of our problems. There's a God who solves everything. And he requires nothing of you to perform better to be able to receive him. The only thing he asks of you is that you'd open the door. In fact, there's this really, really beautiful passage in Revelation right before Jesus starts giving us an understanding of what the end will be like when everything is victorious. And he makes this statement. And he says this. He says, I'll read it to you in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. He says, here I am. Here I am. And this is what he says. I stand at the door and I knock. He's not, he's not an abusive God. He's not going to beat the door down. He's not going to disrespect your boundaries. He is a gracious God. But behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and day with me. Now notice, he's not saying, get your house ready, get it all vacuumed, prepare the dinner. He's literally bringing all the solutions for the increase with him, right? Like he's literally going, it's all me. I, I, he needs nothing of your behavior. He needs you to change nothing in this moment. He just needs you to go, you're right, God, I can't fix myself. You're right, I can't get any better on my own. You're right, I cannot get this junk out of my life. But if you're telling me that you will come in and you will be with me, this is a message on salvation. Going, yes, God would make himself available to you. But it's also a message on safety. It's going, do you believe that there's a God of the universe who loves you so much that he wants to come and meet with you now? So stop working on the decrease. Stop working on the behavior modification and double down on the increase. So what's going to happen is the band's going to come up, and I just want you to process that. Now, here's the really neat thing. Some of you just got to stare at this and go, God, is that true? Now, for others of us, you've already gotten this. And here's the beautiful thing. What the world has told you is they've pointed all this junk, and so, see, you're not any good. You're so broken. If people really knew you, if people knew all the secrets I know about you, if people knew, maybe it's your ex, maybe you got your dad in your head, all those, like, that vitriol that's coming at you. Going, if they really knew you, if they knew what was deep down inside of you, and it's all true, right? We have our own brokenness. We have our own problems. But the reality is the really neat thing is when you hear that from now on, you don't go, oh, I got to fix that. You got you to take a deep breath and go, oh, isn't that so glorious? Then I was a wretch. I was a nobody. And I could just invite Jesus into this. And he does all the work. And he doesn't even tell me to fix it. You know what he tells me to do? Go and tell other people about the same one who did that to me for them. Go invite other people into this. And so for many of us, many of us, you know the story and you've received this story and you've experienced the story. And so your next right step is to declare the truth of you being a nobody who couldn't fix yourself but was welcome to the family and that you now get to declare this truth that God is Jesus and Jesus has come to make all things right, not just for eternity, but in our lives now. So the other side you're on. You go, okay, Jesus, is this true? Ask him. Here's a really neat thing. I was going to lead you through this prayer, but I think the reality is, is God's really, really gracious here. And I believe you know if he's knocking. And I think the, reality, the, the right response to Jesus if he's knocking on your door is just admitting, God, my house is a mess. But boy, I'd love for you to come in. God, my house is a mess. It's a mess. Oh, I can't believe I'm opening this door. My house is a mess. But boy, I'd love for you to come in. And in that moment, everything changes for you now 
and for all eternity. So God, my house is a mess, but boy, I'd love for you to come in. So would you stand with me as we sing this last song together?